So check out the blog. You're listening to This Month in View. We're covering October on this podcast, and I'm Greg Pollock. And I'm here with Adam Jar and Ben Hong. And we're all together today, which we're normally not. So it's special. Ben is visiting us from the DC area. Yep, coming to you live. And both Ben and I will be at ViewComp Toronto, November 10 through 12. If you'd like to go and haven't yet registered, you can use our code VIEWMASTERY, all caps, to get $50 off a ticket. Late last week, I published an article covering the different ways you can start using the features of Vue 3 today. I assume you're talking about the composition API with the Vue 2 plugin? Yeah, and in the article, I show you how to use the plugin inside your Vue 2 application to start using the composition API along with a code sample. On top of that, I also show how to get the Vue 3 pre-alpha code, which Evan released about a month ago, working on your computer so you can start playing with the new source code. So you can start building apps with Vue 3 now? Kinda, but since Vue Loader hasn't been updated yet to work with Vue 3, you're not going to be able to run any .vue files, you know, run it on the CLI with single file components yet. You'll need to use Vue the way you probably did when you first learned it by writing JavaScript files. And I included an example in the blog post, which you'll probably need to use because the way you instantiate a Vue app is a little different with Vue 3. Building Chrome extensions has always been something I've been meaning to learn how to do, but it always seems more complicated than I thought. Hmm, do you need to learn some Chrome-specific scripting language to create Chrome extensions? Thankfully, no. All you need is the fundamental front-end trifecta, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. So that means you can use Vue with it. That you can. There's a great article from Simon Norlin Eldevig that gives a great overview of the bare essentials of what makes up a Chrome extension and recommends a great boilerplate for creating Chrome extensions that utilizes our favorite Vue CLI tool. In last month's episode, I spoke about Vue Mastery's new blog and our first post by Dan Vega on unit testing Vue components. That was part one of a series, right? Yep, and since then we published part two, which walks through writing your first test using Jest and Vue Test utils, and part three, which explores testing components that are a bit more complex. And I just have to ask, what was the proposal, the talk proposal you submitted about tests with Jest and it um, rhymes really well? Jest tests for a better night's rest. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yes. So what would someone need to know before writing their first unit test with Jest for a better uh, night's rest? <laughs> yes, less stress. Basically, you'd want to get clear on what the component is expected to do. So you can do this by defining what its inputs and outputs are. And Dan covered that in part one. So once you're clear on that, you'll be able to write your Jest assertions, which are what help you determine whether what you expected the test to return matches what is actually returned. And where does view test utils come in? So that'll give you handy methods like the mount method, which essentially returns the render component that you can then run methods on to do things like find a button and make sure it's visible like it should be. If you started learning the Vue 3 Composition API, you may be familiar with the two ways you can create reactive objects using ref and reactive. In an article last week, Jason Yu wrote up the reasons he thinks using ref over reactive is always a better choice. And why is that exactly? Because I know the Composition API, the docs say there's not a preference, and I feel like using reactive feels closer to using the data option. Yeah, and Jason breaks it down to three reasons, and the first of it is convenience. 
When you use reactive and you need a new reactive variable somewhere in your code, you're more likely to go up to the top of your composition function and create a new property inside reactive rather than simply declaring a new ref right there in your code. So it seems like with using reactive, you're still coding by grouping options because you're kind of grouping all your reactive properties together rather than just declaring them in your code where they're needed. You got it. Jason also shows how it's more flexible and explicit. So check out the blog. Vue.js's reactivity system is so simple to use that it makes for a great tool for creating beautiful infographics. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> it was a podcast where we were just going, mm. Mm -mm. <laughs> Aren't most infographs built with libraries like D3? <laughs> That's right. However, a clever technique for spinning up on-the-go pie charts using only CSS and a little bit of Vue.js is CSS conic gradients. And what exactly is a conic gradient? A conic gradient is similar to the radial gradient in CSS where you can define color stops when it creates a circle, which allows you to easily define sections of your circle using different colors, which allow you to create pie charts. Did you just, did you just come up with that? Where did you, were you reading that? No, it's sort of a fusion of that plus... <laughs> That just came off the top of your head. <laughs> wow, Ben. Ben knows his stuff. Okay, now you know. Like, if we, the rest of us have to use notes and scripts, but Ben came up out of that like off of the top of his head. Wow. But it's cool to know that you don't have to rely on a third-party library to create something like that, or or a script to come up with something like that. Yeah. <laughs> One of the major benefits of components is that they keep our apps modularized, but things become a little less flexible when components are coupled tightly with their dependencies. Marcus Oberlander has written quite a bit about decoupling components from their dependencies, and this month he shared an interesting way to inject dependencies using what he calls functional component factories. Functional component factories. Can you break that down for us? Sure. So, Off the top of your head? <laughs> <laughs> it's basically a stateless component that is simply responsible for taking a component and injecting it with the dependency it needs. And that works how? Yeah, so the functional component, it has two parameters. In the first one, you pass in the component that needs the dependency. And in the second argument, you pass in that dependency itself, like a library it depends on, or maybe a method you're using throughout your app that that component needs. And then that dependency is injected into the component via props. Vue CLI version 4.0.0 was released two weeks ago, and last I checked, there has been a few bug fixes bringing it up to 4.0.5. This major version is focused on necessary version upgrades of underlying tools, better default setups, and other fine tunings required for long-term maintenance. A little more specifically, this new version comes with improved Nightwatch and Jest testing support, as well as PWA support for creating progressive web apps. And how hard is it to upgrade to this new version? Well, uh, there is a migration guide in the release notes, which you'll need to follow. And it starts by upgrading the CLI using NPM or Yarn, followed by running view upgrade on the command line, which will go through and attempt to upgrade all your CLI plugins you've installed to their latest versions. There's also some additional upgrade instructions for individual plugins you may need to follow that are in the release notes. Is there anything that people need to do as plugin authors? Well, you might be excited if if you're a plugin author, because this new version has many more utilities available in the generator API. I don't know about YouTube, but I love Vue directives. And while the default directives like v4 and vif that ship with Vue are great, sometimes I want to go just one step further. Mm, you mean by creating your own custom directives? Right. 
You might already know that you can create custom ones, but there are actually other ones that people have created in open source that you should know about, such as being able to copy to the clipboard, scroll to a specific point on the page, or even having a tooltip. But rather than have you try and create everything from scratch, there's a fantastic roundup by Nada Rifki of must-have view directives that already exist with convenient links to the source code. I'm always interested in new and intuitive ways of interacting with an interface, and my next story combines view with machine learning to allow for gesture-based controls. Machine learning and gestures. So you're telling me that a view app can do what I want it to do by waving my hand around like a magician? That's basically the gist. So Daniel Elkington created a new library called View Camera Gestures, which uses some AI with TensorFlow under the hood. Interesting. But what are some practical applications for this? Right. It might seem impractical or maybe even lazy at first to wave your hand in front of your device's camera to tell the app what you want it to do. But if you look at it from an accessibility perspective, I know if I got in an accident and couldn't operate a mouse for a few weeks, I would really appreciate if I could just point left and right to navigate through an app, for example. I feel like this is the first step towards enslaving our computers, which only causes them to create Skynet and then overthrow everyone. That's why we need mind control. Thanks for listening to This Month in View. If you'd like to submit a story, you can submit it to the official View newsletter. That's where we get our stories for the month. You can find that online at news.viewjs.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next month. But not really see you. I mean, right. just you'll, you'll be listening you'll listen to, to our, our voices, voices next using month. your ears. <laughs> you'll hear us next month. <laughs>